my dream was to be, I used to watch the local sports cast in Ottawa. TSN wasn't really around back then. And I said to my parents, if I could be doing the local sports covering the Ottawa Rough Riders, that would be like the most amazing career ever. So to be able to get to TSN and do things that I didn't even think about when I was younger, or couldn't even conceive of being a little suburban Ottawa guy. I just, I've got, I've been really, really, really lucky. Sometimes your dreams do come true. For a young boy growing up in Ottawa, it was wanting to make a career based around his childhood obsession with sports. Putting in all the necessary work to telling his stories locally in his hometown and later in Vancouver to position himself to grab his big sports broadcasting chance when the opportunity arose. And indeed it did. Hi again and welcome to Speaking of Media, the podcast where communicators and the media come together to consider the world of mass storytelling. I'm Keith Marnock, former journalist turned corporate communicator. And as a communicator, I invite you to join me and learn from industry experts from both sides of the media microphone about how to effectively share your stories and messages. In this episode, we go behind the desk that turned into a sports center for James Duthie, TSN's lead host and sports journalist. James's work has earned him multiple awards, including three Geminis, a Canadian Screen Award, and the Excellence in Sports Broadcasting Award from Sports Media Canada. Coincidentally, I was working as a corporate communicator at TSN the day that James arrived at the network back in 1998, and I was involved with promoting him as the so-called next big guy in TV sports, and can fondly remember how well he dealt with being marketed as Canada's lead broadcaster for the upcoming generation. No small challenge. I recently reconnected with James to reflect on the current state of sports television by considering the future of the Olympics, soccer in Canada, as well as sports media generally by revisiting some of the fun times from an era when Canadian all-sports television was still really sorting itself out, and how he has flourished over 30 years in the business, and what he aspires to accomplish with still plenty of gas left in his sports journalist tank. And so we are joined by uh, one of Canada's most recognized sports hosts and commentators. He's written books, He's he hosts a podcast now. It's great to welcome TSN's James Duthie to Speaking of Media. How are you doing, James? Keith, uh, great to be with you. Good to see you again. Great to reconnect, yeah. When I think of you, I always think back to uh, that day you arrived at TSN when I was in the building, and I think it was exciting for you. But when you think back to that day at NetStar, before it was even CTV, um, what were the possibilities going around in your head? And, you know, did you arrive in that building thinking that one day you'd take over the shoes of Brian Williams? Ooh. Uh, definitely not. The thing, it's funny, the thing I remember most about that day was uh, John Gallagher had been hired the very same day uh, yes. to host a, a late night talk show, which was our first foray into a late night, our first and I guess last foray into doing a late night talk show. And, uh, you know, Gallagher was this big personality. And that was the more prominent hiring for sure of that day. I was the guy they brought in to, to host CFL, but we both arrived on the same day. <laughs> And the thing that strikes me as funny and, uh, is I kept getting, I kept running into John, like pe- different people were taking us around the building. And so I got introduced to him three different times and he never remembered me each time. He said, Hey, John Gallagher, I'm the new host of the Big Blade Night Talk Show here. But that's what I always remember from my first day at TSN and just being overwhelmed. And I guess I'd been working local TV in Ottawa. I actually came to TSN for Vancouver, but I'd spent most of my career in Ottawa and Somewhere along the way, I realized that's the place I wanted to be, uh, was to be at TSN. I think during probably my last five or six years of working in Ottawa and then in Vancouver, 
I knew that that's eventually where I wanted to get to, not knowing I would actually get there and certainly not thinking that I'd have, uh, I've done all the things I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to do over the years here. Yeah. Well, what were the, who were the people you sort of relied on when, when you arrived there? Who, who was going to help groom you into, uh, you know, the, the, the personality that we know today? Uh, I mean, I think I took, it goes all the way from the top. Keith Pelly uh, was the guy who hired me. He's the guy who saw me in Ottawa doing a, uh, it was funny. He, I don't know. I, I can't remember if, uh, if I'd sent a tape. I think he just saw me. It was the night the Ottawa Senators, their opening game. And I was doing a live hit for local TV in Ottawa and uh, was doing a tour of the dressing room. So it was kind of these walk, one of these walking live hits. And uh, I guess he'd seen it somehow and called me. And the first thing he said to me was, uh, I really like the jeans. And I was I'm like, I don't even know this guy. I'm like, what? Because you're wearing jeans and your live hit. I really like that because we always wear suits here. I really like your jeans. So I think it was a pair of Levi's that got me noticed by the head of TSN. But Keith actually, uh, I was hired to host CFL and NBA. And he got out of the, you know, executive chair and came back into the producer's chair the very first night to uh, produce our show, um, which I guess he hadn't done in years because it was a big deal and we were all rookies on there. So Certainly, he had an influence. All my early producers, John Hines, Paul McLean uh, with football, a bunch of different people at, at SportsCenter, Mark Millier and Ken mm -hmm. Bolden. And I mean, I could name 20 guys, Mike Day, who was still there back then. So mm -hmm. remember, I came in, not, I didn't know anything. So anybody who I didn't know who, who <laughs> was smart, who was powerful, I was really naive to the world. So I was trying to act like a sponge and take as much as I could from anybody. And plus all the people on air there. I can tell you when I did my audition, Jim Van Horn was the nicest. You know, he peeked his head around the corner in the middle of my audition and said, hey, uh, liven it up a little bit. And I'll never forget that, right? Like a little thing he said, because maybe in local news, I was a little more toned down. So uh, a lot of people were super helpful. I think of guys like Dave Hodge. I was always kind of thrilled to be in the same room as him, you know, knowing his right. background and so on as well, too. So, um broadcasting sports everything all the landscapes have changed so you know as i talk to my audience james i i suppose the path has changed these days but is there a path for people who are journalists or communicators to kind of aspire to do the kind of things you do these days yeah I, I really i find it super challenging when i get asked by young broadcasters or students you know how to break into the business because who am i to tell them that it's been I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years now, uh, and I don't know how it works anymore. <laughs> I, I'm kind of a dinosaur in a way. I mean, I'm trying to keep up with technology and so on and so forth. But, you know, I got really lucky to get a job right out of university in Ottawa, worked in local news for a bunch of years, and then somehow got discovered because I was wearing a pair of jeans and a live hit. <laughs> so, you know, how do I tell a 20-year-old in 2022 or a 25-year-old or whatever you know, how to get into this business or is it realistic? I, I, can, I can say this part. I know that a lot of people tell people to run from broadcasting and journalism and whatever you want to be doing podcasts, any communicator, because it's so difficult and because it's become so constrained and it's shrinking so quickly. But I'm, I would never say that because who am I to say that when I'm talking to whoever that person may be, whether it's a student or whatever, that they're not the next Kate Burnett or Rod Smith or whoever that may be, right? It's still hard, but there's always going to be a place for really good communicators, right? If you're really good at it, 
the business will find a place for you, I think. And so, I mean, you have to navigate your way to find a place as well. But I, I, uh, I, I hate the people that are dream killers that say run from journalism or run from media because I think media is always going to have a place. It's just completely changing. Well, another element or a theme that's running across, you know, society these days really is is diversity and trying to bring different voices to the fore. And, and I see that right. happening at, at TSN and I see I see that coming to the Sports Center desk. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, that's looking to be trying to, to if they're looking to try to expand on that. Um, how do you see that uh, in terms of uh, the new people? And in some cases, talking about new sports and new ways that people uh, connect with sports, uh, it really is sort of um, it really is sort of ubiquitous in terms of, you know, trying to be more diverse. Yeah, well, first of all, just on the, uh, you know, plain diversity in the faces in front of the camera, I think TSN's done a really good job. If you look at our reporters and a lot of our broadcasts, uh, uh, we have a, a bunch of faces that are, I think, reflect what Canada is. Hockey has been a challenge, and I think we're still working on that. And, you know, part of it is simply because uh, there's only, you know, because there are fewer um uh, you know, BIPOC faces in, in hockey. There's only, uh, unfortunately, a handful of, you know, black players that, that are, have just recently retired. We're, we're desperately trying to find people, but there's only so many. And sometimes they don't want to do the job, right? So uh, I think it's going to improve, but hockey will take a little more time than some of the other sports as far as, uh, as, as having diverse faces on there. I, I think we're really, really trying hard and uh and really pushing that way but it's it, it's a little bit more of a challenge because let's face it hockey's been a white sport and we're trying to change that at all levels and that includes you know the broadcasting faces that you see in your television right so let's talk a little bit about hockey i mean it's uh, probably where people uh see you most these days anyways uh, take us behind the desk a little bit there and what's it like to orchestrate a bunch of guys who used to be players or managers or coaches and have become commentators. What what does it take? What's the secret sauce that you bring to your job uh, that makes that show hum? I don't know if there's a secret sauce. I know as a host, if you were to ask me, you know, as a host in general, my philosophy to doing it. Uh, I mean, there's there'd be two questions, two part sides to that. Uh, hosting a panel, I think my number one job is to get the heck out of the way. I, I sort of take my role as to be what the fan would be if they were in my position. So try to ask the questions that, uh, you know, an educated fan would be asking of these players and to try to get the best out of them. So I, I think more than anything else, it's my job is to just get as much personality and as much insight out of whoever is sitting next to me or who's ever at the other end of the camera. And that's, that's a pretty simple part of it. Now there's the other part of hosting is when you're doing, intros to pieces and interviews and and that's a bit of a, a different cup of tea but yeah I, I think it's simple as that I'm super curious when guys come I want them to tell stories I think that's the best tv and most of the guys that come have a ton of stories and so it's getting that out of them I've had to sort of been a little bit of a tv prof along the way because we've had so many different people that come in who've never done it before and you forget I think because you know you've been doing it so long you know that it's it's new for someone to look into a camera and have all these lights shining down on them and it's, it's challenging the first couple of times if you went back and look at at my tapes from Ottawa in my early years I was terrible 
uh, on, on camera and uh, just an uncomfortable as can be. So I think I always have to remember that these guys have never necessarily, they've had been done interviews before, but haven't been in the position of talking to the camera and breaking down tape or whatever the heck they're, uh, they're doing. So, uh, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten good at, I have a little speech. I usually give new guys when they come in and, uh, but I find they're all, they're all pretty, they're all pretty great. Cause if you've made it to a level as a professional athlete, you probably have a level of confidence anyway. And the learning curve, some guys come in and are incredible. I remember Marty Biron, mm-hmm. uh, the first day he came in when he was still a goalie with the Philadelphia Flyers was like right away. Boom. He just had it right. Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog, very similar. Some guys just walk in there and they're just naturals. We both worked with Schultze on the on the CFL beat as well. Uh, you know, uh, uh, rest in peace, uh, Schultze. But he was a yeah. big guy that really sort of he really came into his own. He had a certain certainly had a following, and uh, I think he was a good example of somebody who really sort of turned the corner on that. You know, became sort of a he was a boisterous guy, but he was able to get more focused and, and tell better stories. Some people are just made for TV. And I think Schultz, was one of those guys. And, you know, there's other people that aren't made for TV that could be the smartest guy. You know, you could have a beer with them and say, this guy is so good. But in front of the camera, it just doesn't work or it doesn't translate. And Schultz, was the opposite where uh, <laughs> I always told I always told him, smart, Schultz, you're smart, way smarter on TV than you are off camera. <laughs> uh, but he just had that incredible natural presence. And he would he just commanded the screen. And sometimes he would not make any sense, but it didn't matter because if people are at home and you command the screen and you believe everything that you are saying, people are at home going, damn, yeah, that guy's right. Talking about, yeah. no, no matter if, if his sentence weren't even comprehensible. So <laughs> yeah, he was a treat. He, he was a treat, Schultz. He was. We broke in together, started together on the CFL when I was, I was yeah. telling you that story about Keith Pelly. So uh, yeah, um, we, well, were, we were tight. TV is full of characters. Uh, it would be boring without them. So um, take us again uh, into uh, into your seat when you're when you're hosting, let's say, hockey. Um, and you talk about storytelling. That's a big thing for our audience, trying to find ways of telling stories no matter what it is that you're trying to communicate. How do you tell the story of like a very specific game? Uh, trying to thread, start with some premises off the pregame, try to find connections to it you know, when you're commentating during and after, how does that, how does that all work? How do you, how do you, how do you with two other people, not just yourself, uh, try to pull that together? What's the mechanics of that? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know if there's one answer because every game works differently somehow. And then every broadcast is, is different, but uh, I think you're so right in what you say. Uh, storytelling is everything in, in all that we do, whether it's, you know, media, and that's what I've tried to focus on my entire career. Anytime, whether you're doing a, a report for SportsCenter, uh, whether you're doing a panel uh, for a game, whether you are setting up a game, that is what you're trying to do is tell a story. So in, in my particular case, uh, you know, I have 30 seconds at the beginning of a broadcast, uh, basically 20 to 30 seconds on camera where I try to say, okay, what is, what is this game about? You know, what is the biggest story of this game? And sometimes it's not going to be Shakespearean, right? Sometimes sometimes it writes itself for you. Some guy's making a comeback or it's a game to decide the last playoff spot. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a game like tonight that I'm about to do in the, in the middle of January, in the middle of a season. And maybe there's not a defined storyline. So I have to, to dig a little deeper to find 
something, you know, maybe it's a stat that's that can tell a story out of a statistic, you know, Toronto's, you know, hasn't won in some certain city for two years or something right. like that. Yeah. But I, I have to find something in those first 20 seconds that hopefully will, you know, some people can latch on. I think most people are going to watch the game anyway, right? They're turning in to watch their Leafs or their Senators or whatever it is. But yeah. I, I think your job as a host is to give them another reason, to, to give them some story to pay attention to. And that's the same with the analysts, okay? I, I think they should have that same philosophy. If they have 30 seconds before the game, they're going to, there's, here's, here's the one guy I'm going to be focusing on tonight. And here's why, and tell that little story uh, within 20 or 30 seconds. So I think that's what you try to do basically every single night is just find something that you think the audience can relate to that will enhance their viewing of the telecast. Yeah. And then you go to the game and the play by play and commentator there I think, you know, the best at that in my lifetime really was, you know, Jim Houston or Chris Cuthbert. I think they're really, really strong. I mean, people will look back to Bob Cole and it was almost more the way he told the story as it was going on. But um, did you ever have um, visions of becoming a play-by-play guy? Yes. Uh, (laughs) In fact, when you, when you met me, that's what I wanted to do, but not for hockey, for football. That was my, if if you had asked, you know, 20 year old me, my dream, it would have been to do football play-by-play. Uh, and I loved hockey, but football was also always kind of, they were kind of one and one eight to me, but I always gravitated more to football. And that was the game I, I played more growing up. And so I was tracking that way in my career. I was starting to do CFL play by play, which people probably won't remember. I only did 10 games, I think, back in, you know, the early turn of the century, basically. And then the hockey gig came, came around in, in 2002. And it's really hard to turn down when they offer you to be uh, the host of a national hockey telecast in Canada. And so obviously I jumped at it and the play-by-play dream sort of got put aside. And, you know, probably that's the right thing, Keith. You know, I, I don't know that I had the the delivery of a Chris Cuthbert or the, you know, the lungs of a Rod Smith. I, I don't know the cadence of a Bob Cole. I don't know if I had any of those things, right? So maybe I would have been a complete and utter failure at play-by-play I think you usually find what you're better at and probably that I'm 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 better at hosting I guess than that but I don't know you know some I've thought someday you know will I when they get sick of seeing my face on tv which I'm sure some people are do I give it one more crack before I'm done that that has ran through my head yeah you start you uh, worked for a fair amount of time on the desk with Darren uh what Mm -hmm. did that do to help refine you know, what you're doing now or, you know, uh, from a journalism point of view or a storytelling point of view, what was daily uh, sports news doing to enhance your career? Well, I, I think, first of all, uh, and, and one thing I should have mentioned earlier, not that maybe for your audience, it doesn't matter as much. I always tell, I think my years in news really helped me. Mm-hmm. And I always tell young communicators, broadcasters, if you can get a job, even if you want to do sports for your life, if you can get a job in news, uh, it taught me to be a much better writer. And I think writing is a skill, again, not just in broadcasting and in, in any sort of communications. It's, it is the skill. And it, I think it's a skill that's under, undervalued or undertaught perhaps these days. Uh, we get a lot of incredible guys who come in out of college, TSN, who can do incredible visual things, right? They're editing wizards, but they can't write. You know, they can't write a tease or whatever. So I, and I think 
if I were to look back, that probably helped me get the job at TSN and do well. And, and by writing, obviously, I don't mean writing blogs or whatever or columns, but writing the 22nd intros that you do on Sports Desk or Sports Center. When you're hosting a show like that, you only have a very few minutes to put your own personality into it, right? You might get three intros a show, three times that you're on camera for 20 seconds. And then, of course, you get the highlight packages that are scripted for you, but you can put your own little twists on them. And so I think that's, you know, that's critical to setting yourself apart from everybody else is that or or defining who you are on television is what you say in those things. I would probably lean towards in the sports center days, um, the light, you know, I'd probably was try to make jokes too often. But, you know, I would take if you get that one intro and say, okay, so how can I make this entertaining, but also tell a bit of a story? in the entertainment i would use like endless movie references or whatever right to tie in to some to you know whatever the game i was about to talk about so that's what i think uh that was the value of those years first of all the live just doing live shows every single night getting scripts handed to you last second was was uh, you know, a real great learning curve but also being able to to do that to same thing as i talked about earlier to tell little stories in those 20 seconds and put your own personality into the highlights. I think those years doing sports desk slash sports center sort of helped carve kind of who I wanted to be on television. Yeah. We're speaking with TSN's James Duthie here on the Speaking of Media podcast. And James, uh, we'll go to a couple of sort of quicker hits here, but can't uh, carry on without uh, referencing, you know, how TSN has been able to sort of package sports. So uh, a Friday night void became Friday night football. Uh, a, a sort of a relatively minor World Junior Championship became the World Juniors. Uh, this this year, obviously, a different circumstance where the tournament actually started um, and uh, wasn't able to be con completed because of the pandemic. But more broadly on the World Juniors, um, how amazed were, were you with what TSN was able to market that into and uh, keep Canada sort of like the leader of that of that whole uh, junior movement. Yeah, I don't know that it was brilliance or just an opportunity. I, I bet you if you went back to those days, the you know the early guys who led TSN, they weren't thinking when they when they purchased the rights that this was going to be the colossus that it become. It's just like, hey, we got a hole in our schedule. Here's this little hockey tournament. Canadians love hockey. Why don't we put it on there, right? So uh, I think they, it was part foresight, part luck. And then somewhere along the way, probably fairly early, they realized they had something really special uh, mm -hmm. that has become this colossus that it is right now. And uh, I think I've come to appreciate that more in the business, how much these things are made for TV events, right? But that doesn't mean they're not, you know, the critics of a World Juniors would say, oh, this is just a tournament that TSN hyped up, right? And that's fair and accurate in a way, but that doesn't take away from the reality that now it has become this thing, right? Everything has an origin story, right? And but now it does matter because of the television coverage over the years and because all these countries now really care about it. Kids in these countries, not just Canada, by the way grow up wanting to play in this tournament. Yeah. That's the other thing I hear sometimes. Oh, only Canada cares about this tournament. Maybe that was true 15 years ago or something. It is massive in Sweden, in Russia, in the Czech Republic, in Finland. It is almost as big as it is in Canada. So the US is the one place where still maybe it hasn't caught on the way it has elsewhere. But 
you know, TV creates a lot of things, right? And and then they be they become they become a big deal somewhere along the way. So I don't think it should be a negative that you know television created a spot for something and then it grew into something else. I think the passion for that's real too. Living in London for the last ten years, you know, that, the Budweiser Gardens uh, filled to the brim, ten thousand strong on Friday nights. That is uh, mm-hmm. something that people take very seriously and obviously watch as those players. Uh, progress um, into the NHL and beyond. And we have the CHL coming back to TSN this year, which is going to be, you know, frankly, we should, probably should have had it before because of our coverage of the World Juniors. So yeah. uh, that's going to be fun, showing some games and showing these kids the people before they just show up at the juniors. Yeah. So another Colossus uh, can't let you go without talking about the Olympics and uh, where that's at. And, um, you know, or again, pandemic is probably uh, sort of hanging its head over, over that coming up in the next uh, month or so. but. I don't know how much you can say about this, but, you know, if I were to ask you, does the Olympics stand the test of time through our lifetimes? Is that, you know, is that something that people talk about? Uh, uh, do people wonder about its ability to, uh, or its viability to carry on? Uh, how do you see that? Well, first of all, I, I'll admit to being a massive Olympic geek since I was a kid. So I love it. And I'm going to be fortunate enough here. We're actually talking on a day where I think they've just announced a roster and I'm going to get to host uh, some of the games on CBC TSN and CBC are partners for the Olympics, so I can't wait to do that. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I, doing the Olympics in 2010, uh, particular, also in 2012, when, when CTV had the rights, was uh, if you were to ask me, Keith, the highlight of my career, that would still be number one, the 2010 Games, because I was, I loved the Olympics from the time I was 10 years old and it was in Montreal and, uh, would watch every second of it as a teenager and to be able to host in your own country, you know, be there for the Crosby goal and everything that else happened in that event was, was, I don't think anything will top it in my career. So personally, you know, I still have that love for the games. I still watch whatever I can of it summer or winter, but I think your question is definitely a correct one. I think the shine is a little bit off the IOC as it is for, you know, many big organizations, uh, COVID has put a massive dent in the plans. It's not the same when the fans aren't there. Countries and cities have been become more reluctant to put in bids because it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it has the prestige that it did when you're left with these billion dollar um, tax tolls afterwards. So I think the Olympics will continue to be viable, but it will become smaller in the sense, I don't think you're going to have places build all these stadiums anymore you're going to go into places that have existing stadiums or do what Vancouver did and, you know, build a speed skating oval, but turn it into a community center afterwards. That's what the future of the Olympics is, is viable, viable sites that don't cost places billions of dollars and are, they're left with these giant white elephants. What do you foresee to be the, if you could put your crystal ball out there, what do you foresee to be, you know, one or, one or two of the biggest stories coming up in this Olympics? Well, first of all, I think hockey is going to be a story. Everyone's disappointed that the NHLers aren't going. And again, maybe I'm biased because I'm going to be commentating on hockey. But people just still, I, I think it almost makes for, it's not a its not a bigger story, but it can be a better story if you get these veteran journeyman players who, you know, didn't really make it in the NHL or, and then they get one last crack at an Olympic gold medal. I, I think that's still a, a cool story. And if Canada gets to a semifinal or a gold medal game, I think the country will still be really, really into it. 
And I'd like to point out a million different athletic things, but the biggest story to me is whether they, whether they get through this. Uh, I just, I, I would have preferred they put it back a year just so you can have a normal Olympics. Uh, if we're, if we're, if we're normal in a year, I don't know how they're going to pull this off. My heart would break for any athlete who's going to test positive before they're, you know, I'm right. Can you imagine being an athlete right now? Probably the most dangerous part is right now before, once you get to the bubble in Beijing, you're probably okay. It'll be an extremely tight bubble there. But in your last few weeks leading up to the Olympics training, where you have to go to a gym or a speed skating oval or wherever to train and risking possible exposure to not make it to the games when you've been training for something your whole life, I can't imagine that stress. And uh, I'm sure that's going to happen in the dozens, if not hundreds of athletes who won't make it because they'll get uh, Omicron along the way somewhere. So I, I think that's going to be the story in the games is can they pull it off without major breakouts? Do you think it's viable? You know, the idea they talked about sort of like playing hockey somewhere else, not really bringing the world together, but maybe playing sports, you know, diffusely around the world at the same yeah. time. Is that something you I think th might work? I think, well, two-pronged answer, I would say that that's probably the way it's going to go because of the things we talked about earlier, just the difficulty of one place holding it. I don't think it'll be quite as special because I think such a big part of it uh, for us and particularly for the athletes is everybody coming together and hanging out in the athlete village with somebody from a completely different country and a completely different sport. I think that's a lot of what makes the Olympics special. But again, realistically, logistically, everything else, I, I think we are probably headed for that. And, you know, hockey in particular it would make a lot of sense. It would have made sense this year if they were able to hold, you know, COVID has sort of put everything aside, but let's say even COVID-free if the NHL was hesitant to go to Beijing to have the tournament, the hockey tournament over here and have a real best-on-best -best Olympic hockey tournament going on while the games are on in Beijing. Uh, I think that's something you'll probably see within a decade or or perhaps even less. Okay, we're winding down our time, but a sport on the way up, I still believe, is soccer in Canada. You know, have they right. made it? Has soccer made it there yet, or do they still have room to go? What What is it about soccer that it just hasn't worked or could work in the future? I think it's. I think this is its time. I, I think it, it's here right now, and I, I think there were two defining moments. One was Alfonso Davies' goal against Panama in Toronto, which ended up being one of the plays of the year on TSN, and I'm sure all the other networks. And then that victory in Edmonton in the snow over Mexico that really, I mean, if you saw the ratings for those events, they were, they were big. Uh, the world, if, if they make the World Cup, which they should, I think that that's going to be the real true official arrival uh, of soccer, that everybody's going to be into it, that all those sort of people that didn't care about soccer before will be, you know, kind of like an Olympics where you don't pay any attention and the Olympics are on. Well, the World Cup is on, Canada's in it. Everybody's going to get gross and the growth of the sport from a TV viewing standpoint will be huge. I, I really, I really think this is soccer's time followed by a World Cup that's going to be partially in Canada in 2026. And you have this window here that I think, I think soccer is sort of the sport to watch in Canada over the next, you know, whatever it is, four, five, six years. And from a television broadcasting point of view, nothing better than scoring a big goal and going and jumping in a pile of snow. <laughs> it was like it was the perfect Canadian moment, right? You couldn't have scripted it any better. So, and you you need moments, you need yeah. little things like that, right? Because what, what's the old thing about why we love our hockey players, right? Tough Canadian boys hanging out the winter. Well, these soccer players doing the exact thing. I, I can't even imagine playing <laughs> soccer in 
you know, minus 20, minus 25 or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think that was, that was a really pivotal moment for the sport in Canada. And then just one final wrap up, James, we talked a little bit about you maybe doing play by play in the past or maybe thinking about it. Do you have anything else that you sort of haven't had a chance to do or that you want to do uh, using your present position as leverage for to, uh, to kind of, <laughs> not that you're rounding out your career, but you know, what is the next great thing that you maybe haven't done before? Is there anything on the horizon? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, World Cup uh, uh, would be one of those things. I'm, I'm hoping I can uh, squeeze my way in to be a part of 2022 or 2026 or somewhere along the way. Uh, I don't pretend to be. We have, you know, the Luke Wildmans of the world who are awesome at, at soccer and uh, know it way better than I do. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but uh, if I can be in some small way part of TSN's coverage of that would be awesome. It's funny, somebody asked me that question the other day, Keith, just one of my buddies, and I've been fortunate. There's not a lot of events in, you know, I've gotten to do masters and super bowls and, and great cups and Stanley cup finals and Olympics and all the things. If I had had a checklist when I was, you know, 18 or 20, I, I would have never had that many things on it that I've been able to cover. So, you know, maybe not from look this is an event I want to do, but career wise, I still, I think you learn and you, and you grow every single, every single time you're out doing something. So I still, Certainly don't think uh, I have a lot more to learn still and a lot more I want to do within the business. I just don't think there's some monumental event out there that I'm aiming at. I'm sure that you would agree that your access to the things that you've loved from the sports world over the, over the, over the course of your career has been something special to be a part of. So uh, you've done a great job of uh, providing that. I'm certainly a big fan of yours and always feel like I've got at least a little bit of an inside uh, rooting interest in you uh, having uh, kind of shared that uh early those early days at tsn with you yeah absolutely it was uh those were good times and uh i'm happy and pleased to see um how tsn as a channel's growing but you know especially uh happy to see uh how well you've done with it and uh really fulfilled your your promise there so i appreciate your time no i really appreciate you saying that uh those were good days and and uh it's great catching up on you doing this i mean i'm the last thing i'd just say is i'm i'm so incredibly fortunate to when I was growing up in Ottawa I I my dream was to be I used to watch the local sports cast in Ottawa TSN wasn't really around back then and I said to my parents if I could be the local you know if I could be doing the local sports covering the Ottawa Rough Riders I, that would be like the most amazing career ever so to be able to get to TSN and do things that I didn't even think about when I was younger or couldn't even conceive of being a little suburban Ottawa guy um, I just, I've got, I've been really, really, really lucky, but, uh, thanks to people like you helping me along the way. And, uh, thanks for catching up. All Canadian, all the way. James Duthie from TSN. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Speaking of Media podcast. Thanks, buddy. It would be difficult to run into a more down to earth and circumspect sports broadcaster than James Duthie. I really appreciated him as we find with many of our guests, emphasizing the importance of being a good versatile writer in order to tell a good solid story. And in television sports broadcasting, establishing matchups, amplifying rivalries, highlighting record accomplishments, and making obvious the struggles between adversaries to ultimately win are foundational to the best stories, no matter what level of competition you're illustrating. James is also an author. He's written a number of great sports books, including They Call Me Killer, the story of legendary Ottawa junior hockey coach Brian Kilray, as well as The Guy on the Left, sports stories from the best seat in the house. I highly recommend both of those books. And that is this edition of Speaking of Media. 
Please subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Amazon or wherever you download and listen to your favorite podcasts. Heck, you can even just ask Alexa and she will find the show for you. Hopefully you'll also like and comment on the show through our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds, as well as on my LinkedIn page, where you will hear about upcoming episodes. And be sure to tell others about it as well. We want to build this community of communicators to put us in the best position to create relevant content, secure great guests like James Duffy, and ultimately reach a broader audience on a weekly basis. Thanks for listening. I'm Keith Marnock, and I look forward to our next time together when, once again, we will be speaking of media.